I get as excited about their home, probably too excited about their homes. And but that's probably one of the reasons why, you know, hey, wow, this guy is very excited about our home. So, you know, I guess he's going to spend a lot of time thinking about it. Welcome to episode 149 of the AFT Construction Podcast. And today we have Mark D. Williams, who is founder of Mark D. Williams Custom Homes in Minnesota. Mark and I met at the Coalition Summit in Nashville this past May. He's going to be coming out again to our next event, Huntington Beach. But Mark is an incredible builder, ton of energy, ton of personality. We built this amazing relationship. Again, some of the connections through social media. And Mark was really... Um, He's done a phenomenal job with this company, marketing, branding, how he's kind of thought outside the box to bring clients to his brand, working through the different platforms. He's not afraid to try you know, different things to, to grow his business and his, uh, you know, his backlog. And what I love about Mark is we dive into how we manage time, how we manage the complexity of the relationship with the client, you know, how we could build that rapport even more, and especially that vetting process with the client. So without further ado, let's get started. This past May, we had an amazing Contractor Coalition Summit. This was in Nashville with Nick Schiffer from Menace Builders and Morgan Molitor from Construction of Style out of Minnesota. And we are now up for our second round of the Contractor Coalition Summit that'll be in Huntington Beach from Sunday, November 6th through Wednesday, November 9th. Go to ContractorCoalitionSummit.com, sign up, register. We have some amazing partners that'll be there sponsoring the event amazing attendees that have already signed up. It's limited seating. We're only allowing 30 to attend. And again, this will be all things pricing, profitability, contracting, client expectations, scheduling, and of course, marketing and social media. Everything that we wish we knew in our business from the very beginning is all going to be wrapped up into just a couple of days. So we'll see you there in Huntington Beach in November. So welcome to the AFT Construction Podcast. We have Mr. Mark Williams, owner, founder of Mark D. Williams Construction out of Minnesota. Welcome, Mark. Hey, Brett. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to meet you. We'll, we'll get into how we met. And uh, l- let me just say this. Like Mark, is uh, he's nonstop. He definitely keeps me on my toes from DMs on Instagram to the text chain and email. So, uh, and I can never get enough, dude. So you're awesome. Yeah. I mean, you're going to regret the day you became my friend. It's a real problem. <laughs> uh, you can speak to uh, many past friends that have unfriended me. Uh, it's, a, it's a problem for sure. <laughs> Well, I think that's good. What, what I love about your energy is super contagious. People will get that from this episode, no doubt. I mean, you do some amazing work. It's great to follow, great personality. And so, you know, construction, the reality is it's a really hard business. I don't think people realize how tough our business is. And I always tell clients, it's funny, when I'm going through the interview process, and, and we'll get into this, you know, marketing strategies and social media and, you know, business development, all these things. But one thing that the common thread with a lot of my customers are like, uh, you know, can we afford you? Are we really in your price point? And the funny thing is I always tell them like, I don't care if you're spending 100000 or 10 million, doesn't matter. I want to work for good people because it's way too hard of an industry. And so for me, it's like a breath of fresh air to have someone like you, Mark, that is just like, it is what it is. Like, and, and just, you make everything super positive, you know? Yeah, thanks. I, uh, you know, I usually, actually, I was going to ask you, we can start with this question. Like I just yeah. had it yesterday. I had a sales call on a couple. I was going to ask you, like, walk me through what is your, you know, the first sales call I do is usually about, um, I do a 15 minute phone call to see if it's a good fit. Um, just, you know, from a time allocation standpoint, and then I'll usually do one hour either at our house or at their office, but really at the end of it all, it comes down to one thing. And I say, I could lose you right with this next statement. It's like, 
do you want to spend the next two years of your life with me um, or not? <laughs> because ultimately between design and building and all these other things, if you're picking a builder the same strata, it shouldn't really be about price. It should be within a percent or two. So really, who do you want to be on this journey with? And I'll often use the example of like going on vacation with, you know, another family. Like, I definitely don't want to go with that family. I really like them, but I don't want to go two weeks on a vacation with them. And so it's trying to relate to these people. And sometimes the personality thing is great. And people are like, oh, man, this is he's relaxing. It's, uh, you know, it's a lot of energy, sometimes too much. And then sometimes you get someone that's, you know, very quiet. And I, as I've gotten older, I've better at reading the room, not great at it. But uh, at the end of the day, you either kind of like working with someone or you don't. And to me, that's probably the number one differentiator in that first meeting. I don't know what you found when you meet with people. Yeah, that's good. I think there's two parts of it. When you're thinking about the vetting and sales process, for me, I mean, the there's two things, right? And you mentioned one of them. One of them is personality. And so immediately, you know, whether it's, and, and this is something that's really important too, is what is your relationship outside of the build relationship, right? And what that means is, you know, some of my clients golf. Okay. So we have some common ground there. In fact, you know, this weekend, you know, I'm going to be playing with a client of mine at his tournament, right. That he invited me to. And so there's some common ground, not that all my clients golf and I'm not a great golfer, but I enjoy it. But it's that, it's that one-on-one -on -one time with him. Right. And, and, and one thing getting back to that is, is this someone that I want to have a relationship with? Do I want to go to dinner? And I'll, I'll drop a little nugget here. Like, so one thing that I never did was enough was build that relationship with the client during the process. And what I mean by that, a lot of times the, the project's done and it's like, ideally you have a relationship where you're like, can we go to dinner right afterwards? Are we in that good of a relationship? And what I found was why wait till the end? Like now we take our clients during the process. We're a few months into this, maybe three, four months into the build. You know, I'll, we'll go to a nice steakhouse here. I'll bring my superintendent, his significant other. I'll bring maybe my director of operations or my project coordinator. And then my wife and I, so there's eight of us, right? The, the client. And what I found is that it's amazing doing that. And in fact, I have a client from California and, I, and I was, we're, we're probably about four months into construction. I said, hey, when you're in town, let me know so we can go to dinner. And he's like, I love this idea. And so it's just, you know, that's something, the personality side that I felt like it's just, it's nice to get away from the day-to-day -day mundane of like schedule, change orders, build to let's just talk about life because when they know we're a person, they're a person, it just changes that whole dichotomy of the relationship. I love that. I mean, you mentioned that at the coalition, which is where we met this last uh, spring. And I know you guys have another one coming up on the West Coast here this fall. So anyone listening that hasn't done it, here's a shameless plug. Uh, <laughs> you, you need to go. Um, and uh, it, it was an amazing experience. Meet a lot of really cool uh, people that are very entrepreneurial. But just um, I think what I took out of that whole thing was... Um, you know, collaboration over competition. And I mean, even yep. being on a podcast now with you and having these friendships that you meet there and kind of support each other. Um, very, very cool and, and inspiring. And um, I mean, kind of things that you didn't even expect to get out of it. I, I still have 35 pages of things I'm supposed to do. If, I'll, <laughs> if I do two of them, I'll get lucky. But the, I actually wrote it down again, because I forgot about that the six month dinner deal. And um, I, I actually, I since we're talking about that, how does, I know like your team would have no problem. You're very extroverted. I got to meet Ashley, your wife, um, mm -hmm. when you were at the, um, the coalition uh, out of curiosity, how, how does she like doing those things? Does she go? Cause you go, she um, loves how, them. how was that first yeah. interaction? Cause I assume that's the first time she's meeting the client, right? Yeah. I, in every case, it's, it's very much the first time. So as we're going on preface center again, like she's heard, you know, some of the background, of my clients, cause it's, it's not like we have a hundred jobs, you know, we have like 14 in construction. And so it's pretty easy. She understands kind of some of her clients who they are. And so she loves it. I mean, it's just great too, where, you know, she, she knows some of the things I'm dealing with, you know, I try not to bring too much home, but you know, it's good for her to be out there and she's, 
you know, she's an extrovert. She's very, you know, outgoing as well. And, and you know, it, it's really nice for her to build that relationship too. And, and that's where I mean, you go to dinner and you just have this collaboration. It's, it's a great event. And, um, you know, going back to that too, like step two, when you asked me this question, Mark, so that, that's one thing is really, is there common ground, whether it's, you know, sports, whether it's, um, uh, hobbies, whether it's family. I mean, there's a lot of things that we can find with our customers and the more collaboration. And I've, I've said this before on the podcast that all the time they always talk about, and I, and I relate this to the medical practice is that 90% of like, uh, malpractice lawsuits in the medical industry are because they didn't like their doctor. And there's no doubt that, you know, some of these things go wrong. Some of these things go wrong in building, but when they like their contractor, they like their designer, like the architect, you tend to be able to work through things, same as your doctor, right? That if there's some good bedside manner there. And so that's really important. But the biggest thing is price too. Cause I think early in my career, you know, a lot of times you're excited, you get this job lead. Yeah. Let's go meet. And then you go meet and you're like, uh, their expectation to reality, there's no way this will align. And so at some point in that first 15 minutes, as you mentioned, I try to get a good feel for the personality and then get down to the nitty and gritty and figure out, okay, are we in the same ballpark? We, we don't have a price yet, but at least are we speaking the same language? Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, obviously, and this will collate to something we talk about a little bit later, but you know, like a parade of homes is a huge deal for us up in Minnesota. I know we have one of the, I think we might have the oldest tour in the country. Um, I think it started back in the 50s or 60s. And um, basically now it's, you know, I, I assume a lot of states have it. I think you had mentioned maybe you don't have it in Arizona. But, we don't. You know, we need it. It's that's crazy to me because like I've never my dad was a builder for 30 years and it's like I remember going to these things as you know a young kid and you know up here I know every state's a little bit different but a lot of people when they're building come to a builder first um, and then they'll go to you know we'll hook them up with an architect or a draftsman depending on their strata of, of, of architecture and their price point and then we'll bring an interior designer but I know like um, one of my interior designers is from Texas and she's like well everyone goes to an interior designer first and then they're the point person and I know um, you know in other states you would go to an architect first so it's very funny how at least in Minnesota we have a very strong builder group and it's they do a phenomenal job of kind of pushing that message. And so we tend to be the first point of contact. And so we kind of lead that story. So the Parade of Homes is a big event here in Minnesota. And one of the things that is probably most helpful is you're in your home that you've obviously built. You, when you engage with people, you can kind of gauge like, hey, do they like wainscoting? Do they like coffered ceilings? Is this house maybe too cottage? They're looking for something more modern. And it's a great way to interact with people. And I try to tell people if they want to talk, you know, we might have four or 500 people in a day through a home. And so I, I, I learned long ago doing these events that I have about three minutes to qualify if this is a lead or not. And I usually will say, you know, I want to, I want to give you the time that you deserve to talk about your home. Can we line up a time at this show home at a time when it's not so busy? So I'll, I'll pick like an off day when nobody's there to come back and do another meeting. But it's just a great way to understand like, hey, is this a price point that they are interested in? Do they have friends and family? They can bring them back. And you always know the ones that are serious because, you know, oftentimes this is the missus will come through and, you know, later that day or the next day, she'll come back with her husband or with her mom <laughs> or with some, a sister and and you're like, okay, yeah, she's very interested. She's bringing her whole family because, you know, like, in, you know, not that men don't like to go. They certainly do. But sometimes you're like, you can tell like he just got drug off a golf course and he's like, he's coming to the show home. And you're like, okay, I have, I have like five minutes to make a really good first impression here and, uh, and see where this can lead. Well, I love that because I so saw, I had Casey with Raycon and Utah has a, a massive parade of homes and he's, he's been in every year for like 12 years and it's like totally catapulted his business. For you, Mark, do you find that, you know, I, I think the advantage that I don't have being in Arizona by not having the parade of homes 
is, you know, I have to take a client through an existing build. It's a build that's super another client. You know, is it the same scope? You know, is it at a stage of construction where the client can really see details or quality? No, whereas you're, you technically have a model here for a window of people walking. Do you feel like it gives you an advantage or at least a, an upper hand when clients walk through when you're speaking about budget and quality and, hey, here's what you get for like a rough budget? Yeah, no, it's huge. We don't, as I mentioned before, you know, being that we build everything a la carte and, you know, specific, I don't do any model homes. I learned long ago that I'm not a very good spec home builder. <laughs> I tend to do things probably too nice. So I'm really good at sales and, and, and designing it for you. I'm just not very good at building it for an anonymous person because I tend to just do everything that I want to do, which right. is fine. It's just evidently no one else likes that home. <laughs> uh, or... <laughs> Or it's too expensive, one of the two. Uh, it's like whenever I was, on, we just re remodeled my own home a couple of years ago. And like anyone, you know, my wife uh, had the majority of say in everything that they picked. And um, at one point, I thought was being Mr. Funny. And I said, hey, you know, honey, you know, people actually pay me for my opinion. And without missing a beat, she said, well, I'm not paying you. <laughs> <laughs> so don't feel bad, misters out there that you don't get a say in your own home. Even a builder doesn't get a say in his own home sometimes. So. Um, but to answer the root question, yeah, I mean, it's extremely helpful to have a home of high quality and, um, you know, oftentimes the homeowners will come back and bring all their family. So you have like this chorus of people that are oohing and aahing about different features in the home. And there's a lot of energy. One thing that I really try to do that I think separates me because while well, the parade has been going on for, you know, five, six decades here in Minnesota, it's not a new thing. Um, they also have something called the Artisan Home Tour, which... I guess the parade of homes is maybe anywhere from 300 to 500 homes, ranging from 300,000 to 5 million. And the artisan home tour is only 20 homes, and they there is certain criteria they have to meet. So it's only like basically two million dollars and above. So it's very rare air, and um, you know as far as what what you can show because you know a project that you have might not fit price per foot it might not meet the right timing nobody can have lived in the home before so you can't so, show past projects things like that so it, it's hard scheduling is actually almost more difficult than finding the project that would qualify financially but when you have that there's a lot of buzz around it so one thing that i've tried to do to set myself apart separately and this would probably play a little bit on my personality for better or for worse but like i'll have an ice cream vendor a coffee truck my brother-in-law is a professional saxophone musician i had him wandering around the house just absolutely crushing you know some some saxophone <laughs> solo i don't know if anyone liked it or not but i thought it was entertaining i i um i had i had i hired a client's son to come play piano so he's playing great balls of fire like it's out of uh, top gun <laughs> and i was waiting for someone to like come in there and start you know uh miming it to uh the music but nobody did and uh so we keep trying new things you know this year i for better or for worse i'm gonna have a balloon tire and a face painter uh come because sometimes people bring their kids and like this was something from decades ago that i knew someone that did this that they built model homes and they had a lot of reloads that came in out of town and you might see 30 homes in a weekend right and this was a different price point than what we do but the idea was it cemented itself and it was like he had a train that was on a track and it went through all the rooms of the house they built like just a little train set and his idea was that hey man if you saw 30 homes and they all look the same to you and your little kid was like dad i really like the one with the train set and I've taken that from secret doors to, you know, event things. I hand out a really high quality um, canvas bag that I see people bringing to the grocery store. Um, sometimes I hit and miss with these ideas, but you know what? I, it's half of the fun is scheming up some random idea and seeing if it sticks. So I love that. Well, the thing is that you're mentioning, I mean, even at the Parade of Homes, as you know, there could be 30 homes in the parade, right? That people are touring. And how do you stand out? And, and you mentioned the reloads, people relocating from other parts. You know, what makes you stand out? The train set, I think that's a great analogy because 
we can all relate and I have kids. And so something that sticks out to them, you're always going to remember, yeah, that house, you know, then, because how do you differentiate the different houses? So, and, and based on the business development arm, how much of your work comes from the prey to homes or how, where do you get your leads from? That's a great question. I, I would say we did this study a couple of years ago. I should probably refresh it, but it used to be like 60 or 70% were from events. Um, but it's hard to say sometimes because sometimes we'll have, we have a lot of serial people that come through every year. And so it's like, well, did they come through five years ago? Did they just come through this year? Like what was their first point of contact? And, um, when I ask people on our intake fill form, it's often, you know, the prey to homes or referral or word of mouth or recommendation. So that's still the best way for people to see our stuff in person. But obviously now with Instagram, social media, LinkedIn, which you got me <laughs> uh, believing in, um, you know, it's hard to really track where everyone is coming from. I was actually going to ask you this question, like, and this coincides with marketing, like your return on investment, your ROI. How do you know how much to spend in print advertising, these social structures and everything. And even if you like uh, setting a budget, like I attempted to s a set a budget, but you know, we won builder of the year last year. I'm like, well, there goes our budget. Cause my plan was to do no print advertising, <laughs> but you have one year to capitalize your builder you know, of the your, year. your builder of the year. And I'm like, well, I was very excited about it. Number one. But then I was like, great. There goes my budget. And so I just like, I, I forgot about the budget. And I'm like, this is one year. You can only win once every five years. And I'm like, fine, we're going to do full page spreads in every magazine for every quarter and get as many partners to help co-sponsor because that's just what we're going to do. And then for the next five years, we'll lick our wounds and be like, wow, we spent a lot of money on ads. I wonder if it did anything. H how do you set a budget? Do you stay on your budget? And how do you track your ROI on all the things that you have your hands in? Uh, that's a really good question, Mark. And so, you know, this is something that's really important because it's a lot of times there's not an immediate feedback, right? And I'll give a good example. So, uh, you know, we've been, I've, I've been really active on YouTube now for oh, probably a year and a half and I've spent good money on it. Like I have made no money just to be transparent. I think I made like $200, like just being open to everyone listening. <laughs> like it has not been a moneymaker. But but here's what's interesting. I have like probably three and a half thousand or almost 4,000 subscribers on YouTube. And uh, we put a ton of content out there and a lot of video and we're going to get, you know, we've been working on refining that and getting better video and, you know, better topics and better tours and stuff like that. So we'll continue to refine that. But what I found is that I, I can't really pinpoint anyone that's coming from YouTube. Although I know specifically, I've done a couple joint venture YouTube videos with like Matt Reisinger, who's has, you know, a million followers, right? So he's coming in and people through there say, Hey, I saw you on Matt's channel. I didn't know there's a builder like this in Arizona, so that's valuable. But getting back to the the premise here, so my YouTube channel, what I found is that, you know, marketing, even though I am not getting payback or I don't have a, a million followers on YouTube, what I found is that my customers, a lot of them are out of state. And a lot of them are researching ICF construction or they're researching net zero that we're doing, or they're looking for a builder in Scottsdale. And, and so my videos will come up. And so they're watching. And so I had a client from California they came in and when it's the first time we met in person and they're like, Brad, we feel like we know you because last night we watched like 20 of your videos. And so what I found is that it's a personality, right? You have a personality mark, you're selling that. That's why people are attracted to you and to your business. And so you are yourself. Like I've never been Mark Williams. Like I don't have your energy. Like I just don't, I don't have this witty personality, you know? So you have a pretty high level of energy. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I, I, you know, I do okay for my energy, I, I guess level you could say, but the thing is, it's just, you, you have to be yourself. And so but where I have found ROI, if you will, so like Instagram and LinkedIn, which, you know, I speak about LinkedIn a lot, is that I've actually, you know, like the yesterday I posted some videos on my Instagram um, of that 60,000 
square foot project, right? There's two projects, they yeah. total 60,000 on a roof and that's direct from LinkedIn. Direct. I mean, this client's been following me. They know our, our product. They knew we could handle this. We met, bam, we move forward. And so I do have a lot of people that are direct DMs from Instagram and LinkedIn. And, and so I see the value there. Uh, but it is important that going back to print, as you mentioned, that you're builder of the year. And yeah, you have to be in print because there's still like my demographics. Some of them love something that's tangible. They love to open up that magazine. Not all of them are on social media. And so you just have to understand what makes sense for your business and budget plays a role. So as your company grows, you may have more opportunity to have a couple one page ads and then additional social media video content. Do you, you mentioned how much of your clientele is out of state, which makes sense. I assume, you know, obviously in Minnesota, we have a lot of people that either go to Florida or they go to Arizona. Arizona. Yep. And um, <laughs> yeah, and I guess my question is, is social and digital makes a lot of sense because now it can go across all states, countries, the world, it doesn't matter, right? Um, but print, do you do any print out of state in any national publications with that in mind that you're trying to draw people in national publications or any print stuff that you do? Is it staying just local and that's your, kind of your local hub of people? That is a really good question, Mark. And so what I'll say is that as far as print goes, the only national one I did was Architectural, Architectural Digest and I did it twice and I didn't really see any ROI. And it wasn't anything against AD. It's just I, you know, it's hard to gauge, you know, where that's going. So as far as print, typically it's mostly local. And the reason being is that even our out-of-state clients, you know, they have a home here or winter home here. And so, you know, the demographics of the, of the print magazine companies, they know everyone in a certain price point or salary or, you know, budget and they're sending mailings anyway. So, uh, so print wise, it's mostly been local. Um, however, this is where I think people can optimize LinkedIn and Instagram, right? Instagram is pay for play. So you could target for me. I know a lot of clients are maybe coming from Wisconsin, Minnesota. So I could advertise my Instagram content in those areas, right? I could set those search engines, you know, if I want to do some pay for play with IG or you should probably do that in like January and February <laughs> yeah. when people are thinking about leaving. <laughs> probably not for July me, yeah. because I really do want to get you up here in January because oh. if I I saw your video today, 113 degrees at whatever time in the morning. I mean, honestly, it's what beautiful. are you guys doing down there? Oh, it's beautiful. I love it. Oh. It's, you know, you have to be careful not to get too sweaty. But I I've been I you know Cambria brought me out in February. It's the only time I've been in Minnesota. Well, I've been there twice and no three times, but once was in February and I don't think I could ever survive again. It's like seven degrees. I'm like, there's no way. There's no way. <laughs> I just I, I prefer the heat. I don't know how you do it. Oh man, yeah, I feel exactly the opposite. I could—I don't think I could ever come down there in the summertime. I'll come down maybe in the wintertime, but uh, we'll do a—we'll do a trade and we'll see who's more miserable. I will say, when it gets super hot, luckily we have—fortunately we have a pool, right? So, you know, you come home from work. Jump well, I the- think—I think of those guys. I mean, I know I, I've sent you some videos of those guys working yeah. in the heat. I, I, this is totally unrelated. How, out of curiosity, how do you navigate? I mean, obviously in the wintertime that my guys can get, when it goes below negative zero, you know, or below zero, there's not negative zero, you know, ultimately <laughs> they're not, <laughs> they're, uh, they're my, uh, you know, they're, they're not working or they're only working inside or they're working, you know, in the afternoon and they're saying, Hey, this doesn't happen all that often. It's a couple weeks in January. It's not the biggest deal in the world. Um, but in, you know you can always put on more clothes, and if you start moving around, as long as you're moving, you're staying active. You start putting off some body heat. Um, I'm a big outdoor enthusiast, so whether you're downhill skiing, backcountry skiing, I mean, if you're moving, you're fine. It's when you stop that things get cold. So, out of curiosity, how do your guys navigate heat 
in construction in the summer, someone has no idea how, I mean, the hottest day we'll get here is maybe like 90, which is miserable because the humidity is so high. But, you know, and we think we're going to go have ice cream and, you know, go to Dairy Queen and be like, call it a day because <laughs> it's too bad. But that's like, that's like 300 days a year for you guys. It's like you 7 a.m. go to Dairy Queen. Yeah, like, that's 7 a.m. You get yeah. So what? How do you, how do they navigate the heat? Uh, you you know it's not too bad. In fact, it, it's funny. So I just promoted Spencer, who's our director of operations, and and part of that role is safety, right? And and so one of the things for safety, even though we've never really dealt with this issue, is you know hydration and understanding heat. You know, the reality is June to end of August, it's it can be really hot in Phoenix. You know, it is hot in May, September, October, but typically it's not in the one tens like we have right now. So you have to be careful, you know, from hydration, you know, drink enough liquid and making sure you can, you know, proper rest and not out in the sun all day. But so it's a little, you know, early mornings are key, right? So, you know, concrete guys, landscapers, roofers, they're working early mornings. Typically, they're not outside uh, past the middle of the day, past noon, right? They're, they're okay. typically done. And, you know, really, when you're thinking of 113, I mean, it's it's really tough at 4 or 5 p.m. when that heat's just beating on the concrete and you go in your car and your steering wheel is going to, like, burn your hands right so hot but but the reality is it's it's not bad like i know i say that but i've lived here for 17 years and so when you're indoors i mean everyone has ac but most of our construction once you get framed you know it's it, it is hot but it's not unbearable the sun's not beating on you you know it's, i know we say this funnily but it's it's dry heat so yeah. you're in the house you're working yeah. it's not bad like i my guys are outside all day our team we've never had an issue with like dehydration or anything with any of our trade partners so you get used to it. It's just like anything. Your blood I was person. even thinking about materials like warping and stuff. Like, you know, do you get like, you know, I was thinking like the through bolts on concrete or metal. Like, man, I can't imagine touching metal in the afternoon. That's got to be, I mean, do you have ever issues where people are getting burned because they're touching stuff? Yeah, so th that, that is a great point, Mark. So you have to be careful. Everyone has good working gloves. You have to have good thick gloves. So that way you're not being burned if you're metal picking up, you know, certain things around the job site that's been sitting out in the heat for a long time. Another thing, which isn't overly common, but you still have to be careful when you think about like the not wildlife. So picking up a pallet that's been there for a while or like a bundle of lumber, it could be a rattlesnake underneath. So you, that you do have to watch for. So, uh, you know, I was literally just telling my kids the other day that like, it's like one of the benefits of Minnesota is there's zero poisonous things here because it's too cold. They'll die. <laughs> like there's, I don't have to worry about any rattlesnakes, no tarantulas, no spiders. I mean, you know, the worst thing that's going to happen is you're going to fall asleep from hypothermia and you're fine. Yeah, you're not fine from hypothermia. That's the problem. So I just can't work with my feet cold. But no, honestly, it's it's not so bad. It's just yeah. like anything you acclimate, right, to, to, to your yeah. market. And Agreed. I, you know, I know you're uh, building a house or for Mark Libertor, who's I've met up here in Minnesota, mm -hmm. and he works with some people that I, that He's I from know. He's from there. And he is, yeah. And um, I... I not to compare climates, but since we're talking about climates, it's kind of interesting. I've often told our client, our clientele, that going back to what you started the the podcast with about how difficult construction is. Um, I mean, Minnesota's climate—you go negative twenty, negative thirty in January to in August, it might be ninety-five. Let's just say it's a hundred for a day or two with ninety percent humidity. And Mark has been really interesting to to look at the thermodynamics of a home and the amount of moisture that gets into our wall cavities. We actually need the negative weather because our humidity is so high to dry out the structures so they don't rot and fall apart. And Minnesota and these northern climates are extremely difficult because um, how do you make a house that's energy efficient but yet breathes efficiently? And it's a it's a tough one where I I know like you know, I would assume that you guys don't have to deal with a lot of the cold and humidity that we have to deal with. And so I assume your wall cavities, if you were to inspect them, you know, 
you know, throughout the year, you're probably not dealing with a lot of moisture. Or am I wrong in that? Yeah, we, we don't have a whole lot. You know, we're one of the driest climates. Uh, you know, our wet season is typically July, August when you have the, all the monsoons like right now. So going back to the heat thing, you know, it's like yesterday, it's 113 during the day, but by 5 p.m. the monsoons come in. You have that, you know, this, uh, the, they call them haboobs. It's this, you know, the, 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 long story short is that the lightning comes in from the heat, the cool weather coming from the Gulf of Mexico. And we get these rainstorms, like last night, death storms. So typically at the night, at night, it, you get these rainstorms, it gets a little humid. Um, but to your point, you know, the net zero Mark La Liberté's house is, you know, our, we're going to 115 probably at our hottest point. And then in the winter, it can get down mid-20s, you know, for a few weeks there below freezing. But it's not zero. And so going back to that, it is hot though. And so you, we're always planning houses on air-conditioned square feet, which is different than you. That's probably heated square feet. So it's air-conditioned space, and then especially with his house, thinking about the thermal bridging, right, thermal breaks. And so how, you know, making sure there's no concrete exposed on the exterior where the sun could beat on that concrete and bring that heat through the concrete into the house. You know, how do we break that up? How do we triple-pane windows, overhangs to protect you, you know, shades? You know, some of these things are going to help just insulate the house. And so it's important, you know, because we're blocking the heat, you're blocking the cold. It's so interesting because the, ultimately the construction's the same. So the thermal, the, you know, I know Mark's big on external insulation. You talk about your thermal breaks. I mean, obviously we did a, a high water table house where it was really slab on grade. Um, and we were very concerned with like, obviously you have concrete to the edge. Like what happens when it's negative 20 and that concrete or that concrete takes the moisture in the cold and starts migrating into the house. Now, obviously you can use insulation and in-floor hydronic heat, you know, to help keep that at bay. But it's definitely something you have to plan uh, both in architecture and in building around. It's a good point, Mark, because when you think about building, I mean, concrete, it is porous. And so if you're exposed to water, it's going to saturate. It's going to bring it on in, into the house. And so, you know, good waterproofing, making sure you have those breaks, not just the thermal side, but also the waterproofing side, which is really key in your area too, where it can be very wet. One thing I wanted to ask you, Brad, we were talking about marketing, kind of going back into our our main topic. Um, how do you, so we talked about, you know, Instagram, we talked about LinkedIn, we talked about print ads. Um, do you get leads from real estate agents? Do you kind of work with architects? How much of your work is brought to you by an architect saying, hey, Brad, you know, we like what you do, or we've done a few projects for you. A client has come to us, um, both in-state, not a state. Uh, we'd like to tap you to be the GC on this. Um, walk me through a little bit about where some of your other leads might come from. Good question. So I'd say 60% of our leads come through our network. And what I mean by that is um, clients that we built for that are now building again. So second time clients, right? They're coming from social media channels. They're coming from networking events I'm attending, you know, just people that I've met. And this is an important part, like people I've known for 20 years here in town that play basketball together or collaborate in business that, you know, neighbors, whatever may be in there at a point in life where they're ready to build their house and hire us. So you know, so that that's probably sixty percent where they're coming to us or through social media, right? Through our social media channels, you know, become familiar with our brand. And then forty percent would be um, you know, designers, architects. In some cases, this is something I think is often overlooked for designers and architects and builders is to think not just the design community, but what about the manufacturers, right? And the reason I say that is because uh, a good example is Foxblocks. Foxblocks, ICF, we've done a lot of co-marketing with them. We've used a lot of ICF product. And so there'll be the consumer that reaches out to them and they're like, talk to AFT. And so we have some of our brands that will reach out and speak to us and 
you know, or refer us, you know, to clients, which is another arm, you know, that we shall be thinking about as well as those relationships we have with our manufacturers and, and, you know, the supply chain that's out there. That's a good segue into Pella. Um, well, I'm a huge Pella guy. It sounds, I know you're a big Pella guy big as time. well. Um, we built uh, two homes, or uh, I guess two homes for the same client um, who was the owner of Pella. So, we, you know, kind of a just an amazing individual. And he has since uh, sold his company, still part of it, to kind of the next guy uh, who, his name's Peter Barton. He used to work for Cambria and on and on his history and amazing. So you have these special relationships. And so a lot of our co-marketing and branding, I know you guys spoke a lot of this at the coalition. I know Nick at NS Builders does a lot of stuff with Rockwell. And, you know, I think Morgan does something with probably every company under the sun. <laughs> and, so, you know, so it's like, you know, these vendor relationships for me, they've always been organic. But one thing that was real eye-opening to me at this coalition was, you know, seeking those out in an organic way, not like just calling up some random guy and saying, hey, you know, I really like to do this. How much money will you give me to post a story about it? That's just not going to work. And nor is it, I mean, it's just, how is that a relationship? It's no different than any other relationship. You have to feed it both ways. And so someone has to be the first one kind of through the door and say, hey, I have a client. Um, I'd love to do this with you. And then it leads to something more and more. Can you speak a little bit about some of your vendor networking and, uh, you know, how how do you develop it? How do you develop the time for it among all the other things, which will lead maybe later on. I have some questions for you about time management because, you know, you have a lot going on and how you juggle all this stuff is kind of amazing. Well, thank you. We can get back to time management. But going back to your question on, you know, it's interesting. I think there's a lot of different avenues and this is something that every, no, no matter the the company, you know, whether you're in design, whether you're in architecture, architecture, construction, like you should be working with vendors. And the reason, and there's a few different ways that that can work. You know, I'll, I'll give one example, my relationship with Pella, how it started. So one of their competitors, I won't call the brand, but I had done a house. It was an amazing house, got published and I was posting, tagging this window contractor. So Pella has, you know, even though it's a family owned company, they, they, they have these franchises, if you will, but they're like direct part of the main company. So like, for example, Pella Mountain West, which is like Boise, Jackson Hole, Utah, Arizona, right? It's kind of that branch. Well, the owner of that branch was in Pella, Iowa, right? And he was at a board meeting. And uh, the way he told me, he said he was sitting in the board meeting and, and one of the, the, the head people is like, who the blank is this AFT and why is he posting about this window company, not Pella? <laughs> and so he came back to Phoenix, calls me up right away and says, Brad, we need to meet. Like what's going on? And that's how the relationship started. And, and from that, you know, anything, anytime you work with brands, always give more, right? It's all value. You know, Mark LaLiberté has been amazing because he introduced me on his bill to a lot of companies that he's working with that are participating in this net zero house. And so what I found is that like doing YouTube videos, content, some of these things you just do. And it's not just from a monetary standpoint, but the reality is these relationships are key because I go seeking out whenever I meet, you know, I do a lot with Cole or, you know, doing a lot with Pella or Sub-Zero Wolf or, you know, build a trend. Who is it that's run their social media? Because now it's cross-collaboration. And the reason I say that is it's often overlooked how our industries are interwoven. Clients that are following certain brands and now move over to us because they follow this parent brand. You know, I have a client here. He's a cosmetic dentist, Brian Harris. I did a project for one of the Arizona Cardinals. I tagged Brian because I built this house. So the same player who I did work for, who plays for the Cardinals, finds Brian, gets his veneers done. His wife gets his veneers done. Some of the other Cardinals players do. So he's not even in my network, right? And there's this cross collaboration. So there, there's so much opportunity as you build, and, but it gets back to the core thing from the beginning markets relationships. I know you, Mark, we have a relationship. We've met the summit. We're friends. We, I, 
And and so now moving forward, when I message you on Instagram, there's a name and a face behind it. And it's the same thing with brands. There are people behind it, get to know them. Yeah. And then it just helps too. When I need supply chain or need product, some of my distributors come to me and say, Brad, you're going to have a better chance than I do to get this. Why don't you go direct? And then I'll go direct and work through that. Yeah. And I'll speak to realty first. So yeah. And, and you asked this earlier to me and I didn't answer it. So I apologize. But yes, realty is really important. And and the reason I say that we, we have a client right now. Um, well, we have a few clients. I think I have three that I'm building for. They're all direct referrals from real estate agents. And so that reciprocity is big, right? You, you know, there's opportunities or referrals that I have coming into me that may not relate to me that I could pass on to these real estate agents and vice versa. They may have a buyer that's looking for a builder there in front of me. And, and really what it comes down to is, you know, what's, when the realtors putting their life on the line, I shouldn't say life online, but when they're putting their reputation on the line to refer me, I got to make sure I step up and I, and I handle that good. And, and I'm very open because in some cases, you know, the realtors do ask for a commission, right? It's very common. We know that. And I'm very open with my clients and the realtor. Here's what I'm doing. I was referred, uh, you know, I could spend this money on marketing. I'm going to invest in the realtor for giving me the referral. And, you know, for me, it's all but board. I'd rather handle it that way because some of those leads come through and it's really important that, um, that I'm taking care of that referral, the client's aware of that transaction. And then it just keeps everything above board. In fact, a couple of my clients, I had one from Iowa or Nebraska and, um, her and her husband were super grateful that brought were, it's really nice if you take care of the realtor because they did a ton of work and they were buying the land. And so they kind of felt like maybe a little guilt that they weren't buying an existing home. So that relationship is really powerful and it can lead into some amazing projects, you know, from these realtors that have those connections. This episode is brought to you by Pella Windows. When it comes to building homes at AFT, almost every project has Pella Windows. And they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relationships with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers. Because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to, to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. Their they're company culture, their integrity, their honesty. You know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects. So for anyone, any scale, any size, they're the ones to call. They're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing. So if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella Windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. For those of you that have listened to the podcast, you know how big of a fan we are of Build-A-Trend and that we have used this software for the last four years. And many of the guests that we've brought on the podcast are also Build-A-Trend users. And in this day and age, with as busy as all of us are in construction, as complicated as it is with escalation pricing, lead times, tracking, organization, all of us need a good project management software to help simplify and organize our business. And there are a couple features that we love a ton about Build-A-Trend. And one is the owner portal. The other is the daily logs. And these are features that we use daily, right? Half of my clients are out of state. And as an owner, it is so imperative how we communicate with our clients, with our team, with 
our customers. And through Build-A-Trend, this allows us that quick connection. They can check at any time. We can communicate with them. We're up to date. This has actually helped us win jobs, win projects because of that organization, especially at pre-construction. And Build-A-Trend also offers a ton of service on the back end, training and understanding and workshops You know, to help us use our software effectively. They also have the podcast, The Building Code. To learn more, head to buildertrend.com backslash AFT to get a 60-day money-back guarantee on your Buildertrend account. That's 60 days to make sure you love this product with no pressure, and I know you will. It is, and but this is where we have to be very careful too and to set parameters. So I always set parameters with the real estate agent. The reason being, it, it, it is unfair in the relationship, just to just be transparent here, that, they, that if I were a realtor, say, hey, Mark, I'm going to give you this lead. You pay me 30 grand or whatever, and I walk away, right? Because you have all the risk as the builder, you have to maintain the relationship with the client for a couple of years. You have to warranty the product. You have to do all this stuff. And so it's really important that like for me, I'm going to negotiate a percentage. Maybe it's a quarter or um, yeah, a quarter of three. So like 0.75 of 3%. So like a quarter of what they would make on a full transaction. The reason being, I have to like go through this process we just mentioned. And then it's also important that I just, for that lead, I don't pay him. You know, I wait till I have a deposit. We break ground. We actually start. We take our first draw. And you can cater this to say, hey, okay, for your example, Mark, of 30000 I'll pay you $10,000 at the first draw. Then halfway through the project, you know, maybe we're at four-way inspection. I'll pay the next 10 And then when we close the house, 10 The realtor has to be involved and still help maintain. You don't want the realtor to be a hinder to the project, but they should be a collaborator, you know, making sure answers and communications happening. And, you know, they vetted the client. They're good recommendations. So we, we should never put ourselves in a position that, you know, Although it's an important part of the sales arm for some of us, depending on what market you're in, um, and there is a relationship there, but we all we have to make sure we have parameter set that's fair for all parties, and then we understand it in writing beforehand, and then we relay that to the customer. But yeah, I don't have it as a line item in my cost plus, like that comes out of my bottom line. But again, I'm transparent. Here's what I'm doing. No, you're good. You're good. So we. Can, Small little edit there, but you got what I said. So so you can pick up from there, Mark, if that makes sense. But but maybe answer, I'll answer this too, Mark, because you, you mentioned the architect too. Th- this is important because um, that design relationship, and truth be told, all of us, right? Whether it be personality, business, you know, how you set things up. I, I would say majority, almost all of our architects and designers, amazing relationship with. And then there's some that were probably like, oh, it's not, not a great fit. I probably won't work with that architect and designer, maybe from their side too, right? But but the reality is that relationship is important. How do you break through that? And this is getting back to LinkedIn that I, I may have shared at the at the summit. But when I first started, there were a lot of architects I want to work with that wouldn't work with me. And what I found was, okay, well, let me just showcase what we're doing. Here's our thought behind it. Here's our process. Here's our site cleanliness. Here's our quality. And it's that repetition, right? You keep posting, you keep posting and being consistent. And these same architects that wouldn't call me back started seeing my content over and over. I was engaging with their content, engaging, engaging. And this is for anyone looking at sales. Like when I have people that just connect with me on LinkedIn and send me a DM right away, like it's a total turnoff. But if they've commented on my post for six months, then, you know, like, hey, Brad, I might have a solution for you. I'm going to be more apt to listen because they've been engaging with me, right? And built the relationship. So I think that's another way to knock down doors is just non-soliciting, engage, engage, engage. And at some point that door opened where now you have an opportunity to work with such architect and uh, go from there. 
Yeah, that's really helpful advice. I mean, I am not a subtle instrument. I'm much more blunt force trauma when it comes to sales. <laughs> uh, and so I'm all about asking for the sale or trial close. I but you should ask for the sale. Oh, great. Oh, I, hey, you're preaching to the choir, brother. I uh, Early on in my career, I did a trial close question, uh, and it turned out the guy was a used car salesman, and he loved it. He loved it. I didn't even know I was doing it. And I was like, hey, if if there, if there uh, you know, if I can meet your demands, is there any reason why you you couldn't move forward ahead with this purchase price and he goes that's a trial close question he goes I love it I, and I was like I, I've always remembered that because this was like you know 2005 I was like one year into building right and I, I had a spec home at that time and he didn't he didn't buy from me but it, I always thought that was really funny like don't be afraid to ask for the sale right because I mean who doesn't want you to want to work with somebody I mean that's kind of the kind of the point like who's enthusiastic I I guess I would have to interview my past clients but I would assume that you know I get as excited about their home, probably too excited about their homes. And, but that's probably one of the reasons why, you know, Hey, wow, this guy is very excited about our home. So, you know, I guess he's going to spend a lot of time thinking about it. Um, back to the art. I your, love that you said that. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, yeah. If I interrupt there, what's interesting is I, I had, uh, someone teach me that a long time ago. Um, and I remember this is when we did our first, uh, restaurant brewery down here and I was sitting in front of the owner. And the funny thing was he, he, he had done construction himself. He had done a remodel of his existing location and his brother was a contractor. And so we're really competing against his brother, right? And he knew his brother didn't have the bandwidth we did or like the size and organization wise, you know, that he's trying to hip. So we're sitting there and he's kind of negotiating against us. And, you know, at the end of the conversation, I just said, look, did we own your business? Can we, you know, start construction? Essentially something like that, right? Did we own yeah. your business? Can we start now? And he kind of looked at me and he's like, okay, let's do it. Just send right. over and we'll sign it. Let's go. And and so and and I was with one of my PMs at the time, and he he was shocked. He's like, I've never even thought to ask for that at the end. And I would have just left the meeting like, okay, thanks, get back to us, let us know what you think on the budget, and and say, just say, what do we need to do to sign this and move forward and execute and and start. And uh, you know, so many times we just don't ask. Well, and you know this too. I mean, building is super emotional. I was just talking about this uh, yesterday with a in a different context, but. Early on, I got advice. If it, you were going to create a, get into a career, pick business to business because people deal with rationality in black and white. Um, he said, stay away from business to personal. Well, there's nothing more business to personal than construction building. And it is right. extremely emotional in a good way. I mean, I often will joke with my homeowners when I meet them, like someone will cry during this process. It, it could be tears of joy. I mean, I've definitely seen people crying and they're just saying, I never thought it could be this beautiful. Like, thank you so much. I've definitely seen that. I've also seen people cry because they're just so overwhelmed. And it's like, you know, I'll, you know, that's often what I'll tell people, like, let me know part of this relationship is, I mean, it is a relationship for sure. And I need to be, I guess if I'm the team leader, like I need to tell my team like, Hey, so-and-so right now just needs a little space or we, what, you know, I'll call the design group and say, Hey, what can we do to support them right now? Cause I just feel like they're, they're, they're really feeling overwhelmed. And cause you know, you and I do this every day. And you know, I suspect if you're anything like me, I mean, I need the extracurricular activities like exercise and all these other things to help balance all the emotion that we put into our work. And without that outlet, <laughs> I would be a def definitely a different builder. But, you know, what, is our, what are our clients doing? I think it's really smart, you know, where you take your people out, you know, every six months, let's say, for a steak dinner or whatever community event you do. To, to That bonding is a little bit like that. Um, I would like to emulate some of that. But it's an emotional process, to be sure. So how do you deal with conflict? Because it's going to come up, Mark. Like, I, I would imagine that, you know, as much as we try, not everything goes rosy, right, especially in the construction yeah. world. How do you deal when there, there is conflict oh, with the client? Man, that is a 
That is a wormhole. Um, that is a good question. I think it's different for every person. I think what I try to do is uh, listen, uh, help them, you know, feel validated. And of course, because, you know, their concern is real. I think this is actually where, oddly enough, I think marriage and having kids and a lot of that as I've gotten older, in some ways it's easier because I can sort of relate to it in a parental way, if that makes sense, and kind of and kind of like balance it out. I also try, I also, if I'm going into a difficult meeting, there's actually, I didn't say it, Solomon said it, uh, but it was, you know, a soft answer turneth away wrath. I have probably prayed that or said that more than any single thing I've ever said going into a meeting. Sometimes you know like you're going to go on the uh, on the horns before you go into a meeting. Like you know it's going to be, it's, they're going to dial up the heat. And I often say that because if there's something for me to say sorry to, I, I immediately say sorry right away. And I've, and I'm not doing that tactically, like it needs to be sincere, obviously. And the point of it is, is like if someone walks in and the first thing they say is I'm sorry, like the fight is gone. Like the wind is out of the sail. And again, I should probably harness this for my marriage and kids sometimes. I should remember this. But, you know, it's really important to just say, you know, we messed up. We made a mistake. This is what we're planning to do to make it better. You know, uh, you know, give them some floor. And a lot of times it's just listening. I've had meetings where I've had a client be very upset and they'll go on for a long. It's not easy to take it because a lot of times, sometimes if uh, too much emotion gets dialed up, it's not constructive and the things that sometimes they're saying is not true. And I try not to, to go tit for tat on everything that they're saying is you just try to take a step back and try to say, well, here's a solution forward. You know, can we get there together? And I think everyone is so different. I think if they're rational or if they're as a pair, the husband and wife or whatever the couple is, however they're managing their internal their conflict. I've had people that are dealing with health issues and I often try to give them the grace of saying like, you know, I mean, maybe they got some really bad news. I mean, maybe their health isn't going well. And usually at that point, they would confide usually because you have this really intimate relationship oftentimes with those types of people where they'll say, hey, you know, I got a really bad report on, you know, whatever scan that they've got. And so I, I don't know, I'd be, I'd love to turn the question back on you is like, how do you deal with difficult situations? Because they do come up and I can't say I always handle them great, but I, I do try. I, I love everything you said. I think, you know, listening, you know, um, having some sort of empathy, right, to where the client's at and, and, and understanding that although we may do this day to day, we don't have, you know, we may not have the same questions or concerns because, hey, we know the process, but they don't. And whether we fail to set clear expectations, but you said something that was really interesting when you were talking about just when you say sorry, like a lot of people, most people are not just going to pile on, right? They're going to say, okay, we're here. How do we fix this? How do we get forward? And an example I'll give, I've, I've had experience twice recently with some of our trade partners. One of them, they completely botched the entire order process, everything in this product. And it was on them 100%. And they, you know what really frustrated me is they never were open about it. They found out that there was an issue. They never said anything when we called them out on it. Then they're playing defensive and then they're playing the blame game. And it's just this, it's not our fault. This is the industry supply chain, which none of this was true. It's just they really made some big mistakes and they didn't order it and the person ended up getting fired and whatever. Um, and and it's just a turnoff because I'm like, if you just come to me and said, Hey, we made a mistake. Let's figure out how to work through this. You know, we can do that. And fast forward. Now I have another issue with another client or trade partner. And the supplier came to me and said, Hey, Brad, we messed up. Like, I don't have a good answer for you. Somehow we missed this. It didn't get ordered. What can we do to help? We want to solve this. We want this relationship to be much bigger than this project. What can we do? And then right away, I'm not going to pile on, not going to go after them. You know, it's not going to be a heated debate. It's like, okay, let's just figure this out. And 
it's that same practice we need to take with clients. A lot of times we could push back excuse, you know, at the end of the day, we're here. And if we're transparent, it doesn't mean that we're not experienced because people make mistakes. Like there's a lot of moving parts to build in the house and sometimes things get missed. And I just don't have a good answer for you. We made a mistake. I'm really sorry. How can we make this better? How can we make this right? You know, I think, I mean, I, yeah, you encapsulate it great, especially with your trade partners. You're right. I always appreciate it. I'm always amazed at our trade partners. I, I, I'm guessing you are as well. You know, the way they come to bat sometimes, and which is, it probably makes it equally disappointing when somebody, you know, the rare exception, you know, doesn't. It really is a glaring hole like, whoa, okay, there's something wrong with this long term. But for the majority of our trade partners, many of who we've been with for decades, um, you know, their ability to say, what can I do to make whatever I need right? And you like, because we're a smaller company, we do four or five new homes a year. It's not a lot. Um, you know, our relationships with our trade partners are extremely intimate. I do a lot of uh, subcontractor uh, strengthening things. You know, we used to do this uh, just it was something simple. We just do grill hot dogs and play softball. And, you know, half the guys can't hit a ball, but it doesn't matter. In fact, one year we did it and it was pouring rain. And that's the one I remember the most because everyone stayed and everyone played. Everyone was so full of mud. It looked like they were on Duck Dynasty. And <laughs> it was just ridiculous. And we still talk about it to this day. And anyway, these trade partner relationships are very special. I had someone one time accuse me saying I cared more about my trades than I cared about the client. And I, I always felt really bad about that because I do care about my clients. Um, and it's not that I won't go to bat for them if I see something that's wrong. But it's a little bit like saying, like, it's your family. If someone, I don't have a brother, but let's say someone came at me and said, well, you love your brother more than you, you love me. Well, yeah, he's my brother and he's going to be with me my whole life. And so, you know, it's, they're not, I, I, they, sometimes a client will think that it's a transaction, which obviously if they know me at all, that's not true. And they're probably just upset about whatever it is they're upset about. And I, they have to understand that I heard on your podcast uh, this last week, um, you know, that trade partners and, and labor is the hardest thing right now. Like the last thing you can do right now is try to browbeat uh, any labor into doing anything, which makes it very difficult because it's hard to control price when you can't come at your guys sometimes and say, hey, guys, this is getting a little uh, out of hand. We're dealing with a climate right now, especially for high skilled labor, where you know, I've heard through the grapevine from other builders where they kind of read the riot act to one of their trade partners and their trade partners is like, yeah, okay, I don't need you. There's 20 other people that need me. Goodbye. And then that builder can't find anyone to do said project. And you're like, whoa, uh, that is a problem. So, you know, it doesn't mean that we can't remember some of these things and deal with them organically over time the way a family should. But, it, you know, just going around and trying to tell people what your clients are telling you they want to hear. I, I mean, I don't know how you handle your loyalty with your trade partners and your 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 clients. I mean, I try to balance and make it fair, but I, I certainly don't feel like either one or the other should 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 really, you know, put the other one down. You can really coexist with both and care about both, in my opinion. Yeah, and 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 this goes back to the vetting process. This here's me with clients. You know, I have a client right now that um uh let's just say it's it's a challenging client, right? And he's one of those guys that loves to scream at people. And and, and I've told him, I'm like, look, and he's like, well, Brad, this build down the street, you know, the owner will walk in and start screaming at everybody. And I'm like, okay, well, that's not really like beneficial to get things done, especially in this market. I understand that. Like, there's a lot of other ways to motivate people without just screaming at them and being, you know, berate them, you know, because everyone's trying to work hard. Everyone's tired. It's 113 degrees. Like they're, they're dealing with a lot of issues right now. Like we, it, it's collaborative. And, and I love the maturity in your answer, Mark, is that, you know, when 
again, going back to the relationship side, I've found that a lot of the best relationships I have with my vendors, and I could speak to one right now who, um, JC, who does you know a lot of my plumbing and appliances and stuff. I met him on a project, and it was a complete mess. <laughs> like, and it wasn't us. Like he can like not him, but his sales team and his installers like completely botched this entire <laughs> kitchen. Let's just put it that way. Like, they, long story short, there's some serious issues. But he called me and he said, "Look, Brad." I really feel bad this is the first time we're meeting and I'm going to do everything to make this right and I'll make it right. And, and this set the tone for our relationship. And this was 10 years ago when I first started my company and we have an amazing relationship now. And so I found that sometimes in the worst circumstances, you can make the best relationships. And as long as you have that maturity, look at the, hey, you know, Mark, you and I may have had a falling out here, but some of my best relationships are from those, you know, that we work together, we collaborate, we see your commitment and, and that I can respect because things do happen in our business. Is that the plumber that you mentioned you can only call? Like, don't text or email him. You just call him if you want <laughs> <No>. something done? <laughs> no, it's funny. I, I forgot I told you that. Again, this is that plumber I haven't used again. He was a, a little grumpy and he was really <laughs> slow and didn't schedule. But just the background, I was telling Mark that uh, we had a plumber and I sent him a text and he called me screaming at me uh, that I should never text him, that you only call people, you don't text them. And and yeah, the same thing with email. You mentioned that on your podcast last week as well. Oh, maybe that. it was on the podcast. Yeah. It was, yeah. But but it's just it's funny that some people are that way and you just have to understand what speaks to them. That um to him and I'm like, Well, you're working, you're a one man band. Like yeah. wouldn't you rather get like a list of stuff so then that way right. I'm not calling you and you're having to put the tool belt down? But teach their own, right? We have to understand it's, that. So it's personality. It goes back to why building is so difficult. And I use this almost on, so you can go ahead and use this line and it's not copyrighted in Arizona. I should copyright it here. But I, my, my line is, is like, you're building a house outside in the weather over two years, you know, raining, uh, snowing in our case, heat, cold, hundreds of people, thousands of, you know, human hours on this house. It's amazing we get as much right as we do. And I use that to combat the word perfection. I haven't had very many clients say that, but like, it, what's perfect? What does that even mean? And like, it's it, building is messy. It it's it truly is amazing. We get as much right as we do. And I think when you're in the building process and it's your home and you're spending a lot of money on it, so it's not that that. But it's like if you were to go into someone else's home and that's not your home you would look around and be like this house is amazing oh wow and then you would have your own home and you would think like well in order to get that amazing feeling you need to do these thousand things i need to yell at all my trade partners to get things done like no that's not how it happens and i use the uh, the line of you know ford f-150 or any car for that matter you know they roll off a hundred thousand trucks a year off their you know wherever their factories are and guess what it's in a factory it's the same thing on every single part and guess what they have callbacks on, on lots of them. I'm, I'm trying to put in perspective how difficult it is to build a custom home. It's really hard. It's so hard. And to that point, I mean, even as your example there that you've copyrighted, right, is that <laughs> you haven't, you're, you're having open surgery. I mean, that, that's what people, you're, I'm, I'm having surgery on your floor, like in your house, you're walking in and it's like, you're exposed to everything, to my laboratory, to my production facility, manufacturing line, that's, whatever no, it is. That's a good point. We don't have access to any of that with any of the products we buy, but I'm doing everything in front of you. And so, you know, if you just come at the end result when the house is done and it's key ready, you know, you haven't seen the pain points that go through this. And that's why it's really important. I've learned to set that expectation too, where even on a cost plus, you know, I may get a drywall bid for 50,000, but in my bid, I show the clients the bid and I say, the number's 55. Well, why is it 55? Because I'm going to have $5,000 a punch. Well, why should I pay for that? Well, because I'm building your house. Like, Part of the process, there's going to be people walking by tool belts and there's going to be 
things that don't line up and there's touch up and repairs, but that's part of building it, like understanding and just, and then they're like, okay, I get it. You know, as long as I set that up front. And so it's really important that we understand our own process to then explain it to them and, and work through it. So Mark, what do you do for fun? You know, I appreciate order, you know, um, and scheduling and all that, but I mean, you need people in the field. And uh, I mean, how many gray categories can you have in a home of, well, who's going to do that or who's going to do that or who's going to do that? And like, you know, your site manager, your project manager, you know, they're constantly putting out, you know, these little fires, trying not to let them get, you know, too far in the process or, you know, delayed too far. It's, uh, no, it's interesting. And one thing I definitely wanted to ask you before we run out of time is, um, because I'm just fascinated by this question, regardless of what people do for careers is, you know, time management. Um, So this is a question for you. I mean, from my point of view, you're like, you know, (laughs) you've got 18 different businesses that you're running, you know, who knows (laughs) how many silent social media handles you handle, you know, you, you, you golf, you play um, basketball, you know, you've got, I think six children, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, how on earth have you structured this around to be, you know, balance, which I know balance is a moving target, but I'd love to hear just some of your thoughts. You know, this is important to me just as someone who has a family and likes all these things. How do you balance it all? Yeah. And, and let me, I, I think it's complicated. I think that if anyone were to spend time with me, they kind of see the method to my madness, I guess you could say, uh, you know, having been in college and balance, you know, being a young father, having my first daughter when I was in college and you know, taking 18 and 24 credits semester and working full time, you kind of learn this balance, right? Which has really been applicable to now to real life. And so what I found is though, more than anything, um, is that it's information and information out. And so I, you can't let things linger. I found that whether it's, uh, communication, delegation, um, direction, you know, as things come in, I don't let these things hang out there unanswered or just taking up time. It's like, I had a customer that calls me and as I'm on the phone, you know, with my customer and he's calling me saying, Brad, we need to go through ABC. Like I'm typing myself an email because for me, that's my best communication. A, B, and C, I'm not going to forget it. And then immediately I hang up and it's bam, I'm texting this person, calling this person, emailing this person. It's off my plate. And now, you know, I still have to follow up and track that, but that that's a big thing is understanding, putting, you know, putting people in roles at my company that are motivated and extremely talented and competent. And I have to empower them and, and enable them because they're going to make mistakes. But, you know, delegation and really that information. And, and people know that from communicating with me. When I text them, I text them right back. They message me on Instagram. I'm getting right back to them. And so it's just that constant, you know, the, the quicker you can digest and process information. And then more importantly, when I look at the calendar, I'm obsessed by my calendar, like every minute of the day, like what part of town I'm in, commute times, traffic, kids' events, you know, extracurricular golf, sports, whatever it may be, wife, you know, date night, you know, these things I put on my calendar, I'm obsessed with my calendar. So it's information, it's organization on time and just optimizing, you know, if I have to go to the gym or whatever it is, you know, in between whatever on my plate and then sleep five hours a night. So that's that's what you got to do. I'm sending you a book, uh, in the book, uh, maybe it's an audible book tape. I was going to ask you a little bit about, um, you know, how you digest knowledge. I mean, I'm a, I listen to your podcast a little bit, but ultimately I'm a book tape guy because I like a beginning and an end. The problem with my kind of obsessive personality is that I feel like if I start a podcast that's not new, I'm like, oh crap, there's 87 episodes. I mean, I got to go back and listen to them all. <laughs> it's like, you know, yep. I'm so like, I can't follow Jocko or Seth Rogen because I'm like, well, they got hundreds of episodes. I mean, like, okay, I can't. So it's even like movies. Like I, I'll do a movie over a series because I, I, I want to know the whole story, right? And so let me ask you a little bit about 
like education? I mean, are you, do you, when you exercise, are you listening to like book tapes? Do you, um, when you're driving around town, I'm guessing you're making lots of phone calls. Like how do you, maybe not even always business stuff, but how, like how do you decompress in your mind? You know, cause so much of what's going on is rapid fire, rapid fire. Where, where are you finding your education sources? And then secondly, how are you not overloading your brain with all these different avenues of things. So I, I assume there's people that you listen to as well as, you know, anyone I assume would of your. Yeah, developer. I think I, that, that's a very good question. And so going back to the time optimization and continuing education is key. So uh, podcasts, books on tape, I'm, I'm big on books on tape. The library here in Phoenix, you can go down and get almost any book on tape so I can listen to it in between phone calls. People reach out with questions, clients. And so always my drive time is always you know, fortunately I drive a lot because that's just our territory in Phoenix. So I always have a good amount that's going to be logistically catching up on voicemails, calling back, sales calls, you know, call my supers, whatever it may be. But also that downtime, like to me, downtime, if I'm listening to something, I don't listen to a ton of music. Um, for me, it, it is more informational podcasts. And so when I'm working out podcasts all the time and, um, cause I, I'm like you a sponge, right? I want to learn about every industry cause that helps me apply things to mine. It's funny. I, I I suspect a lot of people would answer this way. I I'm way more interested in learning. Like I would love to go back to college now. Uh, I would love to go back and just soak stuff up that you're. And maybe that's just true as you're an adult. Like you prioritize things. And I'm just very interested in learning now. I think I always was a curious person. But do you find that like there's a part of you now that is just like on hyperdrive for learning stuff? Always. I mean, and, and really it, to be successful as a business owner now is I've, I become more obsessed about business and running a business and, you know, understanding the different ways to be, you know, strategic with different decisions we're making. And so that, that part is really important. And, and to your point, you know, if we, if we knew had all this knowledge as a teenager, it'd be a lot different, right? The things I'd be consuming at that time and just understanding, especially through college, I'd have been a lot more adept to like picking classes. It'd be more catered to my future. And, you know, it's just something you just learn as you go, but now you can still optimize that. You can, and, and the best example I'll give, I, and, and this has nothing to really do with the topic here, but I remember in my thirties, this is like 10 years ago, my young thirties, cause I'm 41 now, but there was a friend of mine that was in a profession and he said, I'm going to be a doctor. And I'm like, you know, and his thought was, he said, look, I'm 31. I'm going to do med school and go through all this thing. And then, you know, by the time I'm 40, I'm going to be practicing and I still have 25, 30 years in my career. And so it's never too late, not even just a career change, but also, hey, I can still educate myself and it, it just starts today. You know, how can I be more efficient? How can I be more, you know, practical with my time? And, you know, how can I utilize these resources, which there's so many around us. So, um, I have a question for you. Walk me through a, uh, a day from the, from the time you wake up to the time you go to sleep, you know, uh, Give me, do you time block? I mean, give me, give me like an average day. It doesn't have to be a Monday, let's say a Tuesday or a Thursday. Like, what's your day look like? That's a good question. And it is totally different. And so it's hard to answer on a day, but okay. I, I can say this sleep hours. I'd say I'm, I'm typically up by 4.45 or 5 every day. Um, you know, social media, I'm posting in the morning. Uh, gym time, typically early in the morning, you know, at work. And, and work is flexible. You know, when you think 7 to 6 p.m. essentially during the day, could be a lot of things. It could be business development. It could be marketing things. It could be organization, team meetings, you know, site visits video content, you know, maybe golfing with a client could be in there. Um, sometimes I'll take off early, you know, for like a kid's event or something, something special or, or, you know, date night with not only my wife, but like father, daughter, father, son, 
night, you know, and so that's time block. So time block is key. I think, you know, without getting the specifics of it, I understand every day what has to be accomplished that day. Again, this is that information in and out. Like I know certain tasks that have to be done this day, have to be communicated and things that are still pressing, but they're not have to be done today. I could push till tomorrow. And so understanding where that focus has to be is most important because then I could strategize my energies accordingly. But I don't go to sleep typically till 11, 1130. So as I mentioned, you know, it is 1130 to 445 is typically my sleep regimen. It works for me. I've done that for 20 years. And so maybe some will question that, but my that's, parents are that's that way. That's the book so. I'm going to give you. There's a book called How We Sleep and Why We Do It. And when the Golden State Warriors won um, their championships, they were working with a San Francisco doctor all about sleep. Maybe you don't want me to send it to you because it, it's going to rob you of uh, from about four hours a, a night of more sleep. But essentially, the, the point of it was is your brain optimization, your athletics, it's equivalent to like taking drugs. If you were, let's say, Lance Armstrong, EPO, any of those things, like sleep is that strong of a rejuvenator you know for athletics which is where i was kind of coming at i used to coach cross-country running for a local high school for 10 years and you know we talked a lot about sleep with the kids and you know their nutrition and what they do and just because i'm really big into athletics you know i have to time block for myself i mean part of it is business but a lot of it is is personal stuff i'm training for a triathlon right now that's in a race day is a week and a half and so you know i'm cramming in a bike at you know 5 a.m uh then i'll do a run on the lunch break and maybe i'll swim on the way home or you know trying to fit all this stuff in is like i feel like a magician trying to juggle 18 things on top of you know i'll be running i I usually don't answer clients but i'll answer my subs you know my plumber will be calling i'll be like (gasps) okay brett yeah okay yeah and i'm just breathing heavy and like what are you doing right now and you know i'm like well you know i'm running at you know a very fast pace and you know this is the best i got right now for you so <laughs> and so you know funny. just anyway just trying to do everything at once is is uh, but sleep i'm my uh guy that I, I work with a little bit he had just said um you know two weeks before race day try to go to bed an hour earlier for two weeks it's been interesting because i, I actually a couple months ago did a uh, like what i spend my time on like to the minute and i'm not really an organized person so this is making me sound like i'm like you know uh, what's the guy's name from a beautiful mind like counting numbers like that's not really mm-hmm. my thing but i actually wrote down the number of minutes in a day and um how much like free time you actually have, like, you know, uh, watching YouTube, watching a show, you know, diddling around, doing nothing. Like there's actually more time than I realize. And I'm, you know, I have three kids. I'm doing a lot of other things. I'm like, I actually have a couple hours a day that are kind of unaccounted for. Not that I think you need downtime, but it was real eye-opening to me that like I could actually squeeze out more time, but you ultimately have to give up something. And so like, I don't, we don't actually, I grew up without a TV. And so that's probably what's wrong with me. And I, you know, just, <laughs> you know, I just don't, I'm lucky not to have that distraction because, um, you know, essentially I put the kids down to sleep, you know, I'll do the crossword or read the paper or, you know, whatever. And I go to sleep, you know, unlike you, I, I have to go to sleep at like eight thirty or nine. I also wake up at four forty-five. but you know, if I'm going to have the energy to do all this stuff, I, I need a couple more hours of sleep than, uh, than Brad Lovett. <laughs> It's awesome. Well, so. the reality is, I mean, I could speak to you all day, Mark. I mean, it just for all you listening, I mean, Mark is just, you do exceptional work, amazing personality. I'm so grateful we met through the summit. So, you know, and I don't want to take too much of your time. I know going back to time thing, how busy you are running your company. So we're, you know, where can our listeners find you? Well, they can find us uh, at uh, mdwilliamshomes.com is our website. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at Mark D. Williams Custom Homes. 
And um, those are kind of the two main avenues. Uh, LinkedIn, uh, Brad has got me on uh, LinkedIn for sure. I'm now for two weeks running. I post every weekday, and uh, or I guess I'll report. I'm giving it one year, um, and we'll see. Uh, see, check back one year from now, and we'll see where we're at. Yeah, you'll you'll keep crushing. I'm telling you, keep doing LinkedIn every day. Not just you, but everyone listening. It's it's so valuable. So, Mark, I can't thank you enough. Appreciate the friendship and the time you get into the podcast today. Thank you. Oh, hey, I thought this was a two-hour deal. What, you're cutting me off early or what? (laughs) (laughs) See you, buddy. Have a good day. Thanks for having me on. Okay. We'll see you. All right. See you. So thank you all for tuning into the podcast today. And just as a recap, if you check the show notes, they're just going to have all the links for the topics that we discuss. And also one of our favorite features now is the chapters that go through the conversation. So if there's certain topics you want to revisit or listen to, they're outlined by the time that we discuss those. And again, we can't thank you enough for all of your support. Please make sure and download our podcast, subscribe, give us a five-star rating and review wherever you download your podcast.